You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. It's a, it's a hot one out there. So, uh, you know, welcome to the summer of Psalms. The summer of Psalms. I hope your summer is going well. Um, I think New Jersey is turning into a Norwegian sauna for the summer. Anybody ever been in sauna? You like saunas? Anybody like saunas? No. There's like two of you that like saunas. No, I love a sauna, I, I, but not, not this sauna. Apparently, I'm not as Norwegian as, uh, as, you know, maybe not now. Maybe I like the cold. I don't know. Maybe that part is coming out, but um, it is a little too hot out there for me right now. So feels good in here and, and good to be in here. Um, I just want to say I hope everybody who loves summer and complains about, you know, missing summer all year long, soak it up, okay? Get, like this, like, uh, I, you know, it's fall is coming. Yeah, ooh, come on. I'm pretty sure I saw Christmas decorations at Walmart already, right? They're out. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't. That was just, um, <laughs> they might be. I'm sure you could probably find some. They're, they're probably in Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby's got them. There you go. So it's coming. It's inevitable. Um, so throughout this summer, what we're doing is, is exploring the Psalms, taking a look at uh, and you know, what they mean for us. We're also exploring them in our branches groups. If you are not in a branches group, I highly recommend that you get in a branches group Wednesday nights in person at uh, the Gafkin Farm at Serenity Farm. So nice. We sit out on the deck and uh, we share bug spray and it's, it's actually great. Um, the cool breeze um, and it's been, it's been awesome. So uh, to, to continue to study these or Thursday nights on Zoom, another great time. Everybody gathering there. So if you're not doing that, uh, I don't know, you're, you're missing out. Um, it's been really great conversations, great discussions, and I highly recommend it. So this week we're going to be reading Psalm chapter 30. That's what we're looking at, a new one. The last few weeks we looked at Psalm 18. We're looking at Psalm 30 this week. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read it, then we're going to discover the context, and then we're going to reread it, right, like we do each week just to kind of uh, refresh ourselves. So um, while the air conditioning is still working in here, let's get to it and uh, make sure that, we, you know, I don't know. I mean, the township does a great job, but you never know. Nothing's a given. So got to be quick. Um, so here we go. Psalm chapter 30, verse 1 will be on the screen up there if you'd like to follow along on your phone or in your Bible, wherever you got, you can do that as well. Psalm chapter 30, beginning in verse 1, it reads like this. I will exalt you, Lord, for you refused to let my enemies triumph over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. It's a very familiar passage. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. You ever say that? Nothing can stop me now. You know, um, your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me, and I was shattered. I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, What will I gain if I die? What will you gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? Can, your, can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I might sing praises to you and not be Silence, O oh Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. So the context here, let's talk about this now. 
Uh, let's, what, what, I mean, it's nice, again, poetic, but if we stopped right there, how many of you, your lives would be changed? Like, I got it. I got it. Like, it's good. It's the word of God. We know there's good stuff in there, lots of things in there, but we could probably walk out of here and forget what we said. Right, so we need context to understand what does that mean. So this is, again, a psalm of David. He wrote lots of the psalms. So David is the one writing this, King David. Um, and it's interesting because it's called a song for the dedication of the temple. That's what this is. It's a song written by David for the dedication of the temple. Sounds, you get it now, right? <laughs> like, do you understand? Um, but here's, here's the thing. Um, we're going to read a portion of scripture from 2 Samuel that kind of tells a little bit of the backstory here because David didn't build a temple. Tuck that away. This is a song for the dedication of the temple which David didn't build. So, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1 says this. When, do we have it in there? No? No, we don't have it in there. I'm going to read it for you. Here we go. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. And David said, here, here's a problem. God is camping. He's in a tent. The ark of God, this holy place, is literally in a, in a tent. I don't know how many of you like tenting. I don't. It's just... I mean, we can go hike, and then I want to sleep in a hotel. I just don't love camping. We had campers growing up, pop-up campers. Anybody have pop-ups? Remember those? And the sides, yeah, awful, awful. Some of you still go camping. I don't understand. We have developments, and we have, we have so advanced as a species. We've learned to live in buildings and structures. David's saying it's a problem. It's not good. God is camping. He's out in a tent. The solution I will build a house for God. I will call it a temple. I want to build this awesome temple so that God himself, you know, you know, we know God doesn't live in buildings, but God has said, you know, they worship God in a temple and they would move it everywhere, you know, as the children, they'd move this tent around for years. All this stuff, they'd, they'd move it and pack it up and fold it up and put it in a little zip bag and they'd carry it where they go and they'd set up the tent again. So God's in a tent and says, I will build a house. So this is, this is my solution, but there's a problem here. And here's the problem. That same night, the Lord says to Nathan, the prophet, go and tell David this. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? And when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. <laughs> right? Uh, it's because God wants you to recognize something. And David later tells his son how God answered that question. First Chronicles chapter 22, we read this. He says, my son, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, David says to Solomon. He says, but, but the Lord said to me, you have killed too many men in the battles you have fought. And since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. David had spent most of his life as a warrior, as a fighter, right? He, most of his life he had a sword in his hand. He had just killed a lot of people. And God says, you've simply shed too much blood to be the guy that's going to build me a house. I appreciate the thought, David, but this is not going to be yours to do. That's what God is saying to him. So let me ask you, have you ever felt or thought of something you feel needs to be done, but 
it doesn't seem like it's going to be yours to do. But you feel like, oh, man, that should be done, but um, maybe I'm not the one to do it. Maybe my life has disqualified me from it, or maybe I don't have the skills for that, or I just feel like this, I just don't feel like it's right for me to do that, but I feel like this needs to be done, that you can empathize with David. That's where he is. And what do you do with that? With that conviction, with that vision, with that burden, that mm, I want to see this happen, but I don't think it's mine to do. What do you do with that? So there's a solution, because God kept talking. And he says this, so David, here's my solution. When you die and are buried with your ancestors, I'm going to raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. And he says, he is the one who's going to build a temple, a house for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. He says, I'm going to do it through one of your offspring. David retells the story elsewhere and gets a little more specific. We can read this in 1 Chronicles 22. God says, you're going to have a son, David, who will be a man of peace. I will give him peace with his enemies in all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon. So I mean really specific, which one of your sons? It's Solomon. David had 19. It's Solomon. I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a temple to honor my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will secure the throne of his kingdom of Israel forever. So David has the vision, and God's saying, okay, your son is going to be the one to see it happen. Do you get it? David's got this vision, this burden. I'm here. I'm in a palace. God's in a tent. I want to do this. And God says, no, it's not going to be you. You've shed too much blood. It's going to be your son. It's going to be Solomon. Not only is he going to build me that, but I'm going to make him and the rest of your children kings in Israel forever. They're going to be the royal lineage. To make a long, really long story, a longer story short, Solomon builds the temple. How do you like that? We skipped it. He did it, right? All of it. And when he finishes, he says something. And so we're going to read what he says. He says this, O Lord, you said you would live in a thick cloud of darkness, but now I have built a glorious temple for you, a place where you can live forever. And the king turned around, this is Solomon, to the entire community of Israel standing before him and gave this blessing. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept the promise he made to my father David. Because he told my dad, from the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have never chosen a city among the tribes of Israel to live in, where, and I've never chosen a place where a temple should be built to honor my name, but I chose David to be king over my people. And Solomon said, my father David wanted to build this temple. The Lord said, that's great. Your intention is good, not for you to do. And now the Lord has fulfilled his promise through me. For I have, become, I have become king in my father's place. I sit in the throne and I have built this temple to honor the Lord, the God of Israel. Skip down to verse 22 and we read this. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel. He lifts his hands towards heaven and he prays, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in all of heaven above or on the earth below. You keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion. You have kept your promise to your servant, David, my father. You made that promise with your own mouth and with your own hands. You have fulfilled it today. That's what he says. It's amazing to me how all these scriptures are so connected. You can go from Psalms to Corinthians to Samuel, all, and they're all telling this, this common story. It's all, I mean, Psalm 30, we just read that Psalm, but all this is the backstory to that. 
There's all this history. It's not just about David for the dedication. Well, David wanted to build this temple. He had shed too much blood. We can go back. You start to build this story. He says, no, your son's going to do it. Solomon says, I did it. And Solomon gives God praise because he connects it to David's story. You see it? It's just like, it's awesome. And so now I just want to like think about this. We're told that Psalm 30, written by David, right, in dedication for the temple, a temple that he was not around to see. And we're told that David gathered nails and bronze and wood and supplies for this temple. He says, since my son's going to have to build it and I don't get to, I want at least help, so I'm going to prepare all these supplies in advance. And apparently that's not the only thing he prepared. We're told that David wrote a song for when that day would come. See, Psalm 30 is a song for the day that God would fulfill his promise, right? So now, think about the fact that David wrote this psalm in faith, that he wrote this psalm in advance. So now, I'd like you to invite you to reread the psalm and listen from the perspective of someone looking back over their life with a vision of what should be in their heart, knowing it's not going to be theirs to do, but looking ahead and speaking into this future. Now read it again. Psalm chapter 30, verse 1. Ready for this? Here we go. I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health again the past. You brought me up from the grave, O oh Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. Pause. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his hope. This is supposed to be sung by people that in the future... He's telling them what to do. This is what God did for me. Let me tell you what to do. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor, that's going to last for a lifetime. Keep going. Weeping may last through the night, but joy is going to come in the morning. Joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That was a good song. When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me. This day was reflecting. I got proud, he said. I said, nothing can stop me now. Your favor made me as secure as a mountain. I felt awesome. Then you turned away from me because I screwed up, and I was shattered. I cried out to you, O Lord. I begged the Lord for mercy, saying, what will you gain if I die, if I sink into the grave? God, can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? Saying, God, I'm not going to do you any good dead, so maybe, maybe you can help me. Hear me, Lord. Have mercy on me. Help me, Lord. He says, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. That's how my story's ending, God. That I might sing praises to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. All the way into the future. See, it's those first four words and then the last six words that jump out at me. He starts off with, I will exalt you. And I will give you thanks. Didn't have enough fingers. There we go. See, David worshiped God not only for what he had done, but for what he was going to do. Before he ever saw the promise fulfilled, without knowing what was going to become, David didn't know what the temple was going to look like. He had an idea. He had a vision. He got all these supplies. He didn't know how long it was going to take or what part in history the temple was going to play. He didn't know that when God promised to secure the royal throne of his son and his lineage forever, that it was going to include Jesus. I don't think David understood that. I don't think David knew all that. I don't think he knew about Joseph and Mary. 
I don't think he knew about Bethlehem, you know, the city of David, how Joseph would have to go back because he was born in the city of David. I don't think that he, he would factor in this. Story. I don't think he knew about the 28 generations between he and Jesus. David was simply declaring, who I know you to be, God, is who you will be for my children and for their children and their children, and you will be forever. The God who has always been faithful will be faithful. The God who has kept his promises to me will always be the promise keeper. David was going to die long before they ever broke ground on that temple. But he was not going to die before declaring this song of praise to God. And as he reflected on his life, David recognized the goodness of God, that he had been faithful even when David wasn't, and concluded that the only appropriate response to a God like that was to sing and to praise and to dance and to put on the clothes of joy to give thanks forever. David had seen enough to know that God was worthy of all his praise forever. So much so that he praised him in advance for the good still yet to be done. I just want to pause and think about that. David praised God for good he hadn't even done yet. Hmm. Don't worry, I'm going to make it practical in a minute. So to make sure this isn't all just like hocus pocus and that we're making this up and that I'm, you know, just a feel-good faith, you know, all this kind of good stuff, we've got to filter it through the rest of Scripture, see what else the Scripture has to tell us to make sure that we're understanding this correctly. And Paul tells us that David's faith wasn't misplaced. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, we read this, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Paul's telling us here that our God is a finishing God. What he starts, he finishes. The burden that he plants as a seed, he will bring to fruition. He brings those things to the finish. Then one of my favorites, the Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, tells us that literally all the heroes of faith did exactly what David just did. That they all believed in the good promises of God that had not yet happened. Hebrews 1, 11, 1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we have yet to see. Verse 13 says, all these people, it lists all these, like this, this like hall of fame of faith. It lists all these amazing people, Abraham and Moses and, and, and Deborah and just these amazing people. And it says, Samson says, all these people, it says, verse 13, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They didn't experience it. They didn't live it, but they died still believing that God was going to do it. Hadn't done it in my lifetime, but you're going to do it. You're good for it. See, the essence of faith is to praise God based on what he has already shown to us in advance for all the good he will do that we have yet to see. That's the essence of faith. It's not just, God, I trust you for what you have done in my life, but God, based on what I know about what you have done, I believe that you will do all the other things. That's the essence of faith. So can I ask you, can I ask you, do we worship God simply based on what he has done for us? If I tell God, listen, you've got to earn my, earn my praise for tomorrow. I'll praise you for what you have done, but I will reserve the right to hold on to praise for tomorrow because it hasn't happened yet, and I want to see you prove yourself again. God, you were good in my past, yes, but today I need you to prove it again. 
David said, God, I'm going to praise you in advance because I believe you're going to do it. As you look at the world today, how about this? Are there things that you long to see changed? Perhaps things in your family, things in yourself, things in your community, things in your workplace, things in our world. Are there wrongs that you ache to see righted? You're like, man, this is just not right, and I just... Mm. Are there hopes you have for the next generation? Things you believe need to be different for them than they are for us now. I want this next generation to have a different experience. God, I, this, it's something that I, it's, it's wrong. I want this to be right. Are there visions in your heart for what should be? The difference between a dream and a vision, and it's semantics. But dreams are what could be. Visions are what should be. Right? A dream is I want a Ferrari. That sounds great, right? But I don't need one. See, the difference is that vision always starts with a problem. True vision always solves a problem. David didn't just have a dream that God should have a temple. It started with a problem. God, you're camping. You're tenting. That's not right. I need to make that right. So the desire to build a temple was vision. It was a solution to that problem. True vision solves problems. So are there visions in your heart that should be? born out of problems and brokenness that we see. I want you to think about those things and now recognize this. Perhaps you will be the one to see it through. Maybe God gave you that vision because you're supposed to do something about it. But perhaps you're just going to be the one to get things ready for the next people to do something about it. Perhaps you're just going to be in the background collecting supplies, but somebody else is going to take the baton and do the next step. Perhaps you will never see the completion of those things. The question is, is that okay? Are you okay with the fact that somebody else may fulfill the vision that you have for a thing? Clarence Jones, a missionary to Ecuador, said this, it's amazing what can be accomplished if you don't worry who gets the credit. <laughs> David wanted to build a temple, but he didn't have to do it. Just wanted to see it done. Knew that God was going to get it done. God's going to do it. So here's the question today for us. Will you praise God in faith that one day all those things inside your heart that you dream and you desire that they will be done? That all those things that are, that God's going to do it. Can you praise him now in advance that he's going to do it? And it's not just, again, it's not just hoping and wishing Do you trust. Can we worship God not just for what he has done, but for what he might do and could do and, and will do? Can you praise God for what he's promised? I think we have to step into a deeper expression of trust with God and not just praise him for what he has done for us, which is plenty, but it's also limited. See, because if we only praise God for what he's done for us, then actually we're only praising God for what we know that he's done for us, what we're aware of that he's done for us, when he's done far more for us than we're even aware of. So if we only did it past, 
It would even still be limited. It wouldn't be full because we only know some of what he's done for us. We don't understand the full measure of what dying on the cross meant for us or you know, what forgiveness cost him or what coming to this earth cost him or, or any of this stuff. We don't know how patient he's being with us right now. There's all sorts of stuff we have to praise God for. that we don't, And that's just up till today. But there's so much more good that we can give God praise for in advance. Say, God, I'm going to praise you for what you will do. David wants us to know that our God will never leave a single thing undone. There's not a single wrong that will be unaccounted for. There's not a single blessing that will be left ungiven. So what does that look like for us? What does it look like to praise God in advance? Like practically, okay, like we get this in theory maybe, you know, but what does that really look like? If we want to, how do we praise God in advance for things we want to see, but they haven't yet materialized? So first, I'm going to make this really practical. It's an exercise. Ready? Everybody, I just want you to do this. Right where you are, if you're listening, I want you to identify something that is wrong or something that is missing or something that has not yet happened that you personally want to see. Just think for a moment. Think of one thing. That's either you go, I want this thing to be different. It's a wrong that I feel like should be righted. Or it's something that isn't that needs to be in existence. I need this to materialize. Think about that one thing. And, and I'll encourage you, if you can, like get out your phone and literally name it right now. Like seriously, everybody in the room, like name it. Yeah, this is, I know you got your phone. Write it down. Define it. What is a vision in your heart that has not yet come to pass? And perhaps it feels like it's a long way off, or maybe it feels like it's something that is new or a new idea. But what does it look like? What is that thing? Here, define it. So I encourage you to take a moment, write it down. I'll give you 15 seconds. Okay, now I'm going to call the band back up because we're going to close and sing. And I'm going to change it up because that joy of the Lord, but I mean, that, that bridge, yep, is like bullseye. So we're going to sing that song again. You guys are awesome. So if you guys will come back up and prepare. So here's what we're going to do. With that in mind now, I'm going to challenge us all to praise God in faith that he will do that thing. That he will do that thing. I want... In our minds, I want you to praise God that he is going to do that thing. That what should be, will be. That we're going to refuse to let our praise be dependent on how things turn out. That we're not going to wait until that happens to give God praise for it. But we're going to praise God today for that that hasn't happened yet. That we're going to praise God fully regardless of how sad sad or happy we feel, regardless of how good or bad we feel, regardless of whether we get to be the ones to make the change or not, that we're going to say, God, I will exalt you. I will give you thanks forever because I believe you. I trust you. You don't burden us for no reason. If you put it in my heart to see, somebody's going to get it done. If you can use me, here I am. But God, I'm going to praise you now in advance. 
Because there's a line in this song, as you were singing it, my goodness, let me see if I can find it here. Where is it? I got that part. I don't know where the second line of it is. I gotta, I gotta find it. Is this it? There it is. There's gonna be glory. There's gonna be glory. There will be glory after this. No need to worry. This present suffering, there will be glory after this. We are the best is yet to come. Boy, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Where we are today, the joy of the Lord, my joy is not based on my circumstance. It's based on that confidence that David is exhibiting here that God, I don't even see this yet and I'm going to write a song about it because I know you're going to do it. So I invite you, let's stand and let's sing this. Let's let that be our commitment, our, 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 our act of praise that God, I believe you're going to do this.